All right. Good afternoon, children of God. How are you? Okay. All right. I like hearing that. Uh, what a great day to come together in worship. Today we're going to talk about endurance. That one's better? Great. Thank you. Hello. Oh. Yes. You hear that reverb. Thank you. We're going to talk about endurance. Has anyone ever heard the phrase pain point? Pain point? I heard that recently from salespeople or maybe people who sell insurance. Pain point. That means if they're looking to sell to us, they're looking for a pain point. Something that we need and they want to push on that pain point so we feel the pain, we feel the need, so we will get their product or service. I'll go into that a little bit. Um, if we're physically hurting, they're going to talk about that need, they're going to talk about that pain so they can offer a medicine that can heal that ailment. If we're financially hurting, they want to pitch us a service that may be able to help us. They might also pitch us social acceptance. <laughs> That's why when you're looking at an ad for maybe something like soda, they show people having a great time drinking soda or eating that fast food. Or sometimes they just want to coax our ego. So if you look at commercials for cars, a shiny new car, you don't need a shiny new car, but it coaxes your ego. Oh, I feel so cool driving this. Now, Sometimes we do need those things that we're being advertised to, that we are being sold. Sometimes we don't, but that's the tactic. Find a pain point and push on it so that we feel a need and that we want something to fulfill it. Sometimes those things answer it and sometimes they don't. Sometimes these fixes are good, but even if they're good, are we relying on these fixes for ultimate fulfillment? Now, here's the strange thing. God finds our pain point too. And I think you might be nodding along because there are times we go and suffer and God calls us to endure. And we feel that pain because we haven't learned to deal with it before. And God brings that pain up to us consciously so that we'll go to him and find healing in him. I know you know what I mean. <laughs> if you remember one of the times Jesus got into the boat with his disciples to go across the Sea of Galilee, the scripture actually says that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Or another time Jesus said, let us go into the boat. And what did they usually experience on the Sea of Galilee? Some storms, right? Some wind and some waves. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus made them do that. Jesus made them go out there. He made them go to a place where they would experience the storm. And every time they did, the question was, does God really care? Do you care? If you cared, you would help us. You would help us right now. And sometimes that happens for us. Sometimes that doesn't. So what do we do when God doesn't answer our pain the way we want to right now? Are we going to look for those quick fixes that we're sold? Or are we going to get closer to God? How do we get closer to God? 
it's usually through these moments of endurance. So we're going to look at three things through this message. First, why do we endure? Secondly, how do we endure? And third, who are we who endure? First, why do we endure? If you're familiar with this section of scripture, it's in the epistles to the Hebrews. And before that was Hebrews chapter 11. It's what's sometimes called the hall of faith. And that's when we look at many figures from the Hebrew scriptures or what we Christians call the Old Testament of people who endured. Some of these witnesses endured and overcame death, like Rahab, the prostitute, like Gideon, whose people were being oppressed by the Midianites at that time, and God called him up to be a mighty warrior and overcome him, overcome them. David, who was being hunted by Saul, and later when he was a king, by Absalom, his son. And Daniel, who overcame death in the lion's den, and his friends in the furnace. But other people who endured did not overcome death. They, it was actually death that they endured. We can think Abel, Samson, and Zechariah. If we're faithful, we don't get to choose our faith, but we do get to choose whether we endure. And God gives us a reward. Whoever comes to God must believe he is, and he rewards those who seek him. God rewards us with presence. When we draw near to God, we will experience more of God. So the writer says of these witnesses in Hebrews 11, they were all commended for their faith, and yet none of them received what was promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So what did they not receive yet? What did these folks who, in the Hebrew scriptures, before Jesus came, not receive yet? Well, I have a few suggestions. There's the knowledge that one, God wants to know us so much that he became humanity. The knowledge that as God's children, we can experience divinity. And that the best answer to pain in this world is a God who suffers alongside us. When we're enduring and we pray, we think we want a verbal answer. We think we want an answer in writing. But what answer would actually satisfy us? God gives us the answer we need, and that's presence. What other God suffers alongside his people and actually paves the way with his suffering? We also know that God fulfills his promises. God will finish the good work he began. And the way God finishes that work is through enduring in him. Jesus paved the way. So if we follow him, we're going to walk in it. So how do we endure? So the writer here says that we endure by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So the people who received this letter the Hebrews who received this letter that we're talking about, that the scripture is from, 
They experienced persecution from others. They experienced confiscation of their property because to believe in Jesus was a threat to the government. To say Jesus was Lord was to say Caesar is not Lord. And how do you endure when you don't have property? What do you do? Are we, just by living our lives, a threat to the powers that be? Are we, in our quest for justice, just naturally a threat to the authorities without meaning to be? If we're living for righteousness, we probably will be at times. We look to Jesus, don't we? We look to Jesus to endure. We look to Jesus to overcome. We look to Jesus because Jesus looks over the overlooked. Jesus saw sinners and made them sinless. Jesus saw the struck down and lifted them up. Jesus saw death and became death to overcome death. We look to Jesus because he makes all things new through the cross. Remember the Apostle Paul said, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So what if we saw that what we endure is working life in ourselves and is working life in others? Jesus said that by persevering, you will gain life. Amen. It's by our enduring and it's by our suffering that we see and experience life. And I see some nodding heads right now. So let's reflect. If Jesus was humiliated, will we not at least be embarrassed if we follow him? If Jesus was broken, will we at least not be bruised? If Jesus was crucified, will we at least take up our cross to follow him? We naturally don't want to endure, and the disciples didn't want to endure either. They wanted immediate triumph. The disciples weren't expecting a crucified Messiah. And you might remember in, in that story where James and, John, yeah, James and John came up to Jesus and asked, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's pretty presumptuous. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't say, sure, what is it? Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Let us each sit at your left and your right hand in your glory. And Jesus responds, you don't know what you're asking. They wanted presence. They wanted to get close to Jesus. They wanted to secure their spots as those who are close to and reigning with Jesus. And the interesting thing is Jesus didn't say, you won't have it. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what it'll mean to get close to me. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I am to drink? And those of you who, who maybe are more familiar with scripture may know that when you drink the cup, that means can you partake in the same things that I'm partaking in? Can you endure the same things I'm enduring? Can you experience the same thing I'm experiencing? And they said, we are able. They had no idea. Do we? Do we know what we're asking? They only knew whatever you experience will experience too. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus did say, you will drink that cup. 
Those spots on my right and my left, they aren't mine to grant, but you will drink that cup, and you have no idea what you're asking. So think about ourselves. Jesus says, are you able to drink that cup? And we come to follow Jesus initially, and we're like, yes, we're willing. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking, but you will drink that cup. You will experience that. So when we pray to be closer to God, are we really aware of what that entails? So finally, who are we who endure? We are co-heirs to God. Now, this, this is the part of the passage that I'm especially excited about. We're going to delve into it a little bit. Stay with me here. The writer says here, Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? He's not condescending to the people he's writing to. As a matter of fact, just a little bit earlier, he's like, we know you're, you're not the kind of people who fall away. We know you're the kind of people who persevere and experience wholeness, experience salvation. We know that. And I don't want you to forget this, this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. And then he quotes a passage from Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. It's written to a son of nobility or a royal son. And what's interesting here is the writer of Hebrews says, have you forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you? So in saying that, the writer says, you are all being addressed as royal heirs here. We're going to get a little more into that. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his sons. So why sons here? Why not children? And we went a little bit into that. It's because what a royal son experienced, this writer wants us to know that we all experience. Secondly, the author uses sons here because early on in the epistle to the Hebrews, we're not going to go too much into it, but I will mention it to you. In the beginning of this book, of the Bible, this writer refers to Jesus as the Son at least six times before we even hear the name Jesus. The writer wants to get something across by calling Jesus the Son again and again and again. I'll go a little bit into it. Chapter 1, verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Verse 8, but about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Chapter 2, verse 6, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. And finally, in chapter 2, verse 9, finally Jesus' name is mentioned the first time, but we see Jesus. And in the same place it says, it was fitting that Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus, even Jesus, was made perfect through suffering. If Jesus needs to be perfected through suffering. Will we not have to be as well? How can we be exempt? 
So right here in this passage we just read today, the author calls back to that, what he said in chapter 2. We see Jesus, the founder of our salvation, perfect through suffering. He mentions it again here when he writes that we endure by looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So the author isn't saying that we're all sons because women don't matter. The author is saying we're all sons because Jesus, the son, matters more than anyone. Through Jesus, we are royalty. We are royal sons, royal co-heirs of God. And if we will inherit what God has promised to us, if we're going to reign along Jesus, we will experience exactly what Jesus did. So the Apostle Paul draws on these themes of endurance and reigning. If we're going to experience reigning, if we're going to experience kingship, and if we do indeed reign as God's children, we will experience discipline as God's children. As a matter of fact, right here in this passage, it says, if you don't experience discipline, you're not children, a.k.a you will experience discipline. <laughs> it won't be pleasant. It will be painful. I do see the nods. I see the smiles because you know by your experience the truth of this. But I want to quote from the Apostle Paul here where he is writing to Timothy on these themes of enduring and reigning. In 2 Timothy 2, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And I can question you, you don't have to tell me, but you know yourself, what is God calling you to endure right now? The way we will overcome that is by going through it and by bringing people who come alongside us who will bear us up, who will go through our struggle with us. That is what the church is for, the body of Christ. To share in our pain, to share in our suffering, and to endure together looking to Jesus. So I end with this exhortation. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always abound in the work of the Lord, for your labor in the Lord is not in vain.